Justin. Hey, Cameron. How's it going, buddy? It's it's going, man. I, I have a job in hockey now, so I'm surrounded by hockey all the time. <laughs> yeah, that must be nice, man. How's that been? It's, I want to say weird's the wrong term because I'm obviously, I'm happy to have a job. It's more of, I'm not used to it because I'm used to hockey just being the hobby job. To where I, I believe go to the term job. you're looking for is surreal. Surreal, yes. Surreal is, is definitely it because the past seven years I've been doing hockey as a hobby and basically leaving the day job to go do hockey. And now I have hockey and I leave the hockey day job to do hockey. <laughs> so it's, it's surreal. It's different working from home, but going to the rink whenever I can safely obviously has been really awesome. And just being a part of something that is nationwide in terms of hockey is pretty darn cool too. And obviously a big presence here in Nashville, the junior Preds, but it's surreal. It's fun. It's, it's good to be working in sports and thankful to be having a job in sports, given the situation that we're all going through right now. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. Like you said, I'm, I mean, a job in sports is tough to get anyway, so it's a yeah. real blessing. You're able to get one now. Yeah. So that's, it's, it's kind of burned me out a little bit from watching the playoffs. Granted, I mean, mm-hmm. I still watch like overtime when it gets to that. I'm watching here and there, but it's unlike the the qualifying round and the first and second round where it's more appointment style watching TV for me. I got a little burnt out from it because it's just so much so quickly. Yeah, I've been uh, watching an occasional A's game, but overall haven't been paying much attention to sports. Um, like like you said, I'll, I'll put on overtime. I watched uh, the Flyers win in overtime in game six. Mm-hmm. Um, my brother's a big Flyers fan, so I've been checking in on that, but that's about it. The Radulov game winner, the yeah. the Kiviranta one was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. The Dallas one for that. I know people are hate hate on Dallas, but what a story with some of these things. So it's it's been interesting to see those those like those storylines I've been following. But it's been tough for me to set aside two and a half hours when I'm doing so much other stuff. I mean, I watched the, I watched opening night of football as well. I watched the the Chiefs take on the Texans, you yep. know, with limited fans, with it raining. <laughs> everything was just weird there too so yeah sports sports has been sports been watching racing still but it's more here and there because I don't want to say life's getting back to normal but I'm more busy now because I have a job because I didn't have one for two months yeah <laughs> but I honestly I think that's most of Nashville and the Predators fan base though because like um that news about the assistant coach came rolling out and I was looking on Twitter for reactions like how am I supposed to feel about this and no one really talked about it. I was like, hey, news broke. Like, what's going on? Where is everybody? Now, I will say, though, today being Friday, he had his press conference with the media. Yeah. I really like Dan Hino. First impressions yeah. were great. First impressions, That's good. first impressions are similar to John Hines. He is willing to talk about things. Very different from the Peter Laviolette era. <laughs> where they weren't getting the details. But Dan Hino, coming from that background, too, he's been a coach. He's been a scout. He's also working um, in junior hockey with the NTDP. So working in development, he was willing to talk about things. And what I liked about him, so this is my instant reaction, was he's in a Boyd, who is actually one of one of our folks at PBR. He was basically kept breaking it down of, okay, so Hines going to be the head coach. Lambert's going to handle – like offense and stuff like that. And then Heinold's going to come in as like the player's coach. I mean, Heinold's only 43. He's not, when you think about it, he's really not that far removed, even though he's been coaching for a long time. Uh, he's still not that far removed in age from a lot of these guys, but he was talking about individual relationships and communication. So very similar to Carl Taylor. 
I really liked what he had to say. It's like, look, uh, Bennett being a scout, breaking down video and things, we can we can look at that stuff and analyze what individual players and the opponent are going to do. And he went and was willing to discuss these things. That's what meant a lot to me is that he's willing to take the time to answer media questions and not make them simple ones. He actually had well thought out answers to the questions. So first impression was great, just like with Hines. I mean, hopefully it works out for them within Nashville. Just for the sake of, of this city and following hockey and being hockey fans here, but more so that I seem to really like both of them in terms of how they take the time to explain things. They seem to be players, coaches, um, which which tends to hopefully bode well. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I don't think problems necessarily improved under Heinz thus far, but it's still really early. And the problems that have been going on have been the same problems which have going up, been going on long term. So right. it's, it's tough to blame the coach when – for multiple coaches same issues like that's <laughs> so we'll see um it seems like the common thread amongst preds speaking out there um from the organization as well as local media is get younger that seems to be the message which um yeah i'm all for let's get some younger guys in there and um jump start some uh something new <laughs> let's get something new going on which is why i don't expect free agency to be th that exciting <laughs> this year no. um unless it's like multiple ahl signings to fill some spots in milwaukee because they're coming up to nashville <laughs> more yeah. than anything else or trades opening up because i mean most of you have seen it but the draft going to be october 6th and 7th and free agency starting on the 9th first of all it's just friggin' weird because that's usually the opening week of hockey yeah is that week and oh man it's just weird and it's all gonna be virtual at the draft but i think there's obviously going to be some trade action for the predators those three four days in october um and we'll go from there but i don't expect free agents to be a bit busy but it's just gonna be weird to me that at 11 a.m central on a friday october 9th is when free agency frenzy is going to begin yeah i think you can't sell everything and get a reasonable return oh. So sell what you can, in my opinion. Right. No, Which, yeah. um, you know, there is a, a Predator Center who got Selkie votes, so. There is, you know. and I've been on that train to trade him, and not because I don't like him, but because he has value. 100%. He has value today, and it's never going to be higher, especially after, right. you know, he's been, he had a really great season, really contributed to the team. Um, Nick Bonino, by the way, if right, anybody yeah. hasn't picked, <laughs> picked up on it. Uh and, you know, going with that news, it's an older veteran player that a lot of GMs probably love. Those are the players you get people to make dumb mistakes on. Mark <laughs> me, <Rhett. laughs> um, I would but, but, but love... real, though. I mean, it's a, it's a contract yeah. that's willing to be traded because it's only one year remaining. Four, four point something million is not much. And you know, you produce in your middle six. And at the time, people were like, oh, that's an overpay. That's an overpay. I don't think it has been at all. Not I don't feel trending. bad about it. Yeah. No. He's, he's done exactly what's expected of him. Like, he started out kind of rough, I guess. But, coming back from injury, of course. Yeah, coming back from injury, of course. And, you know, he's, he's bounced back really well. He's doing everything you ask of him. And, you know, that's the type of player that GM spend too much on. So <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah. All the time. I think that, I think they could, they could get a second round pick and maybe a prospect. Yeah. yeah. I'd I love to see it. One of the few with trade value. 
So we'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens in, in a month when we get to that point. In a month, that, that's still just freaking weird. Uh, but but I know, anyways, um, we have a guest today. One of the few times yes. we have a guest. Yeah, this was uh, your doing. It was because it just so happens that we follow each other on Twitter. Um, because, well, I mean, Filipino pride uh, might have helped <laughs> in a little bit of that. But uh, Bobby Rubio is going to be our guest, and he is the, the writer and director of Float, which is a Pixar Spark short you can see on Disney+. And he's, it's the first one by a Filipino director, which is really, really awesome. And so we are going to welcome him on the program here to discuss that animation, uh, his work with Marvel, because he works with Marvel Comics. I mean, it goes right into what we discuss in this show, aside from sports. Yeah, fantastic guest. Stuff. I mean, yeah, <laughs> he's 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 definitely a sports fan. Uh, not a lot of hockey in the areas he's lived, but um, loves sports. So, um, really, really good guest. Re- good job, Jeff. Thank Just you. Thank you for contributing. Thank you. So let's go ahead. Let's welcome Bobby Rubio to Southern Hostility and let's learn more from him. Okay, everyone, really excited for our guest on Southern Hostility right now. Very inspirational just to see his story and to see representation on on a Pixar short film and to see it on Disney+. Plus. It was awesome just to see this uh, representing my background with Filipino heritage and to see that represented on the screen was huge to me. And we are now welcomed, we are welcoming Bobby Rubio, who hey. is a director, animator, writer, just all around awesome human being. If you don't follow <laughs> him on Twitter, you really need to. So Bobby, thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you. Um, <laughs> it's a pleasure to be here with you, Justin and Cameron. So thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, so first of all, just first of all, got to ask, are okay. you and your family, everybody's okay with the wildfires that are going on in California? We are, but it was quite strange seeing uh, the sky being orange, you know, like it, you really did feel like you were in, uh, in Mars or Blade Runner. Uh, <laughs> it was ridiculous. It, I've never seen this in my entire life. And uh, or while even while I was up here in, in, in the Bay Area, I've never seen the sky orange before. Like it was ridiculous. It's, it's really eerie and creepy, and just so hopefully everyone's able to just be safe and get evacuated when they need to, so yes. good to hear on your end that your family's doing okay. Yeah, we're safe. So we're safe. Before, before we get into animation and flow, just wanted to, to get some more background on everything, because I just love talking about this, uh, Filipino food. Uh, okay. So before we went on air, just discovered that your favorite is lechon, and yeah. that is one of my favorites as well, obviously the crispy skin, just always a yeah. kind of thing, going and poking at it and picking it apart before it even got served. Uh, so but one of my favorites is obviously adobo and that's just like traditional with every filipino family but filipino right. dessert i didn't ask about that so what's your favorite filipino dessert do you have one um uh, have you had the um tahoe have you tried that the the egg, where it's like that's it's like got like like some custard and then some oh, kind yeah. of sweet like yes um what is it boba tea on it yes oh yeah balls on it so like i don't know is that ours but i know we're fusion (laughs) anyways we're traditional fusion so (laughs) yeah i i I mean i see that in filipino restaurants tahoe i like that and i mean i guess if it's standard um i do like the uh um the fried banana oh yeah Um, put on put on yeah yeah but what I always wanted to know is why don't we dip that in chocolate? Oh, you know, because you have fried, you have a fried banana 
why not dip that in chocolate too? That would, you know what? I'm claiming that. That's mine. That, that's yours. <laughs> that's yours. If I try it, I'm going to make sure to give you the shout out on it. Yeah, yeah. Because I've been watching a lot of carnival shows. Have you guys been watching those? Like on Food Networks? Yes. And yes, you're like, absolutely. you know what would be awesome, Tyrone? And if you dip that in chocolate, like a, and, or Nutella and sprinkles. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, that would be just delicious upon delicious. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, Filipino cuisine is the original like fusion when you really think about it, of all the cultures right. mixed in. So we can do whatever we want. We right. <laughs> You're right. We got Chinese, we got Malaysian. Yeah, just oh yeah. Because it uh, the Philippines was uh, you know a port where a bunch of ships came in and we got integrated. So everything, uh, everything's there. <laughs> yes. And it always throws off because I have plenty of uh, Latinx friends as well. And like, wait, you have that dish too? Like, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we were both uh, had Spanish uh, conquests over our countries, so yeah. a lot of Spanish and Mexican stuff we have because of yeah. our Spanish influence. It's it's so interesting to see that, especially like, wait, but you're Asian. Well, right. <laughs> right. Right. So growing up in California, obviously you're surrounded by diversity in so many different cultures, and obviously there's a very strong Filipino influence there. So. What was it like for you growing up as a Filipino in Southern California, having that heritage there, but also knowing that your culture is represented pretty well in that part of the country? Um, you know what? It's funny because when I was a little kid, I didn't actually think I was a minority because everybody on my block looked like me. And uh, I guess I didn't realize that unless I was looking at the screen or, you know, on TV. I'm like, wait, there's a, I didn't see anybody of color much on TV, um, especially uh, the ones that I saw was especially of Asians was like uh, Kung Fu theater on, <laughs> on, on, on Sundays or Saturdays. And I really love that. And I gravitated towards that. And I, I'm wondering if it was because I was finally seeing, you know, some kind of uh, representation for my own uh, being Asian. Uh, I, I felt like maybe I, 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 could, I could relate to that. Plus the Kung Fu was awesome, you know? <laughs> Who doesn't love Bruce Lee and Kung right. Fu? <laughs> awesome stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I know you're living in Northern California now, living in the Oakland area. So as a fellow Ace fan, I was just hoping we could discuss something we all have, and that's a love-hate relationship with the Coliseum. Oh, oh, but you know what? What I love about it is it's cheap, right? <laughs> yeah. Like. You versus if you go to the city, like that would cost, you know, a, an arm and a leg to go to get, bring a yep. family. $45 parking and wine <laughs> bars and there's a yes. bowling alley in the scoreboard. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, at the Coliseum, you could afford it. And mm -hmm. yeah, I could bring my family five. And, and granted, you know, it does need a lot of updates, but I... I love it for the atmosphere and the and and it it, it is where the A's won their championships. So, mm -hmm. which I am jealous because I am originally from San Diego and I am a Padres fan. Mm -hmm. But um, to be clear, like since I live now in Oakland, I want my kids to uh, to root for their hometown team, and it's the Oakland A's. And I allow them to do that. They will not root for the Raiders. But they could root for <laughs> the A's. Now that's not a problem because the Raiders are in, in, in Vegas, but you know, at the time. It was yeah. 
<laughs> no, um, I love the Coliseum, and I've always compared it to like having like your first car. Like the door is a different color. You know, yeah. sometimes it starts, sometimes it doesn't, but it's yours. And yeah. you know, it's you're always gonna have those memories. And sure, I'd I'd like a new one, but you know, I can still get around with this one. I don't want to spend all that money. Like, you and, know, it's still a lot of fun. And the A's are doing great right now. Yeah, awesome. So hey, why change it? <laughs> like, like uh, I mean, I hope I hope it's an A's Padres World Series. Oh. I mean, I'm hoping. Yeah, and I was watching the game the other <laughs> night, and they had the brown and gold Padres jersey and yeah. those Kelly green A's jerseys, and I was like, this is gonna look beautiful if yeah. they make it to the World Series. I love that '70s look, that '70s colors. Like that to me screams baseball to me. Like I'm like. No man, that that feels right. And now how now we're in COVID and everyone's got the long mustaches and all like and the big old hair. Like it feels like we're in the seventies again. <laughs> yeah, if only you saw yeah. Gumpy a few weeks before he cut everything. <laughs> yeah, no, I had I had it all going on. Oh. Um, so I know growing up in Southern California, obviously, you know, when it came to the NBA, you were a big Lakers fan as well. Yes. So as a Sacramento Kings fan myself, I just wanted to know if you have any remorse for the 2002 Western Conference Finals. Hmm. Not really. We won, right? <laughs> <laughs> By any means necessary. Yes, you did. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I don't really. Uh. <laughs> Sacramento. Sorry, Cameron. <laughs> Sacramento. Yeah, I, uh, I grew up in Sacramento for 22 years, and I moved out here uh, in 2011, so. Um, oh, okay. You know, this is this is home now, but um, still. Where's, make, where, where's this guy's? Where are you guys at? Uh, we're in Nashville, Tennessee. Oh, Nashville, nice. Yeah, have you been here before? No, but I did see the carnival show about the carnival uh, in Nashville, and you guys do have some crazy food, and I definitely, yeah. definitely want to try that and the music. I mean, Nashville is a, a great town with a ton of history and a ton of good music out there and food, I'm sure. And so oh, yeah. I would love to visit Nashville someday. And we're finally getting a little more diversity in our food as well. We have a Filipino fusion restaurant in downtown oh. Nashville now. Um, really? Thunder. It's actually, he, he owns one in Chicago and in Nashville. Oh, so wow. We went there on Mother's Day uh, two years ago. And it was interesting to have uh, Ubi pancakes oh, <laughs> in Nashville. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's a little cafe just outside of Nashville that serves like the Especial Halo Halo as oh. well. So it's, it's starting to come here, slowly but surely. That's cool. <laughs> We're getting it. So, so before we really get into to, to animation and float, you also do a lot of work with Marvel and the comics as well. And it's just mm -hmm. so great to see. I mean, folks, if you're not following him on Instagram or keeping up with him on social media, you've got to follow Bobby because he's so just incredibly talented. That's an understatement uh, right there, too. So, folks, I'm sure I've seen your work, but what are some of your favorite covers that you've done with Marvel that I guess stand out to you that have really meant a lot? Um the the big one that stands out the most to me is the um the captain america i am captain america cover for incredible hulks i believe it was a variant for that cover but it what it features is a teacher it it was in response to uh we marvel wanted to uh, highlight a profession and, and that that is honorable and they wanted to highlight a teacher for the cover and and have it 
uh, have some kind of Captain America uh, um, theme to it. So I drew a teacher, uh, a, a preschool teacher, and she's sitting on a Captain America rug, and the little children are dressed up as Avengers. So um, that cover is very, uh, I love that one because um, I actually got to sneak in my little, my kids, my own kids artwork in the background. So if you look in the background, there's a kid's artwork hanging and um, not my, ki my sons did that. And um, I'm kind of jealous because they got to draw a Marvel cover way before I did. <laughs> but uh, that cover specifically is, is my favorite. Oh. And, uh, yeah, it was cool to draw the Avengers. It's, oh, and I also did the Avengers cover. Oh, yeah. Um, which is the standard Avengers Assemble, but, but the standard Avengers cover. And, and the, that's, that, that's special to me because Stan Lee signed my issue of that. Oh. And I was all like, uh, to hang out with the man that you, know, you idolize and you're drawing his characters and you're in his presence. Uh, I mean, that was an, a true honor. So yeah, that's another one, that cover. Um, wow. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> For lack of a better phrase, that's really cool. That's, that's incredible. So throughout, obviously you have plenty of favorites and things that stand out. So in terms of movies, are you a fan of the movies as well? And do you have like a top three in no particular order of the movies? Uh, yeah, the funny thing is the other day I was arguing that RoboCop is a great movie. And I think... Robocop, top five movie for me. Okay. Um, but, uh, Robocop's up there, but I think usually my top three tend to be um, like Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Superman the movie. Um, and then if I'm being like, like, like filmmaker guy now, then it would be Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> um, uh, Let's see. What are the ones that are like? Dawshank <laughs> Redemption's definitely up there. Yeah, for sure. And uh, I mean, what are you guys like? I feel like it's one-sided. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, well, you named three movies that for me mean a lot just because John Williams scored them. Yes. Empire, yeah. Raiders, and Superman. And I mean, this, yeah. the nerd posters behind me. Right. I see that. I see the Empire. That's good. You got Empire. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I wanted like the original like movie poster, the, the copy, obviously. Oh, that's original? Yeah. Like what the original wow. was supposed to be. So, yeah, that means a lot. So, obviously, Empire is up there for me um, in terms of like, overall favorite movies. And I know with people laugh because I was one of those people that went to see Endgame a ridiculous amount of times in theaters. Oh, I think but, Endgame is one of the best movies, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, all across the board because the character uh there's character arcs there's um uh there's drama there's action it has everything romance yeah i, I would i would argue with you too yeah that's a great movie i yeah. love that i love it and it's one of those things like i went to see it so often in theaters because i'm going how many times are going to be able to see it on the big screen in mm -hmm. a movie theater experience especially nowadays i know luckily you went right yeah yeah so those are obviously up there for me and then um i mean remember the titans is a really good one for me sports movie wise and so is miracle um yes. more, Di more disney uh sports movies but those just mean a lot to me in terms of just like the the american sports story i guess um, right. so to me. cameron what about you um one thing i've put a lot of thought into recently is you know 
in today's day and age, it's so difficult to captivate somebody, you know, we're constantly distracted. So anyone who's doing something successfully now is just amazing to me. Um, I've been watching the uh, Disney gallery um, behind the scenes with the Mandalorian for the second time. Um, And one thing they really talk about is um, they put like limits on themselves and out of that, those limitations becomes creativity. So they don't have, you know, Luke Skywalker or anything they compared it to like you know you get your hand-me-down toys from your older brother so (laughs) you know (laughs) you've got one beat up like Boba Fett toy and then you kind of just have to make do with everything else Um, and from a creative perspective that's something I've really put a lot of thought into is you know how can you creatively limit yourself in today's day and age to kind of breed that creativity you've got obstacles to overcome because if you have everything you know, it's too easy, right. you know, you don't have to innovate. So right. um, that's something I really respect. And that's something um, on the music side, I'm a big Jack White fan. And that was a, a big thing behind the White Stripes as well. Cause oh, okay. it's one, one guitar, one drummer, and that's yeah. it. Wow. You, you gotta make a difference that way. So that's something I've put a lot of uh, thought into as well. Um, so obviously Star Wars is a big thing for me. Um, from a comedic perspective, um, big sitcom fan. So your Seinfeld, your um, The Office, um, things like that. Um, Office Space was a big movie for me back in the day. I remember seeing that on Comedy Central at 3 a.m. Um, all throughout high school, yeah. over and over. Loved it. So that's yeah. That that stomping scene, I mean, is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's still great yeah so so bobby you you've been doing this now for a while i mean it's just looking at your imdb and disney pixar films since like the mid 90s and i guess obviously you were young when you got into the industry which is awesome to be able to do that how did you get your start in this industry and like how did you break through well i went to the california institute of the arts which is known as cal arts in Valencia, California, and that was uh, founded by Walt Disney, and it's a um, it's a university that a lot of animators went to, uh, and a lot of uh, directors went to, animation directors went to, and so um, immediately once I graduated from there, I got an internship uh, at Disney, uh, and my first movie was Pocahontas, so. Um, yeah, I was straight out of college, um, and um, it was, it, I had a great experience there. So, um, you kind of talked a little bit about, you know, the movies and things you've enjoyed in the past, but, you know, out of those, like, what really spoke to you? What made you decide, like, yeah, this is something I want to do for myself. This this is something I really want to look into. You know what? I I will, I'm an 80s kid, or 80s kid, so, like, I saw, um, um, Robotech and a lot of stuff that I saw was cartoons uh, on TV. So, and I, I gravitated towards Robotech, GI Joe, Transformers, more so than Disney movies. Because back in the eighties, early eighties, there was no uh, Disney movies, and so, um, so I think those were a big, huge influence on me. Um, I, I, I like action adventure uh, stories. I like blockbusters. Uh, it goes back to what we were talking about, like Steve, the Steven Spielberg movies. 
and George Lucas movies. I think I gravitate more towards those type of movies, blockbusters, than perhaps art housey uh, movies. Uh, just because I feel like I want a broad audience to see my work and I want them to enjoy my work. And I actually uh, feel that's a good thing. I, I don't see that as a bad thing of trying to be a blockbuster uh, filmmaker. Um, that is what I want to try to do. I mean, well, I'm at Pixar, so that's I kind of like where we're at. Like, we make movies for families and, and the broader audience. Um, sometimes we reach art house levels, but sometimes we don't. And, and, and I'm fine with that. Awesome. Um, so I know it's a common struggle among creative people to maintain productive habits. Um, what kind of things do you do to like jumpstart or sustain that creative energy? Hmm. Um, I tend to draw or at least write every day. Um, and it doesn't have to be great. It just has to keep my juices flowing and keep me moving forward. Um, uh, I think I've, I've heard this from many writers and many artists. It's, it's just about the constant working. It's the process. It, it, everything's not going to be perfect. But um, if you keep at it, eventually you'll look down and, and you'll be like, there it is. That's what I was uh, trying to achieve. And um, so that's what I do. I, I, I constantly work at my craft. And always, and there's, there's never going to be the 100%. It's always just how you can get better and improve and continue to go. And right. so we see that progression, obviously, in your career. And it's something that's I want to learn more about. So I see it and I see that when you, in your first movies, you're an in-betweener as an yeah. animator and you move up and you're an animator, story artist. So what do those positions entail? What is an in-betweener and, and how does that kind of go with the, the progression of your career and what those, those fields do? Okay. Um, well, an in-betweener is like the junior level of animator. Um, so what that is, is you'll have your main animator who does the main keys mm -hmm. of drawings of the movement of the character and then the in-betweener would draw the every incremental uh, drawing in between um, because it's tedious so you might as well hand it down to a, a lower level person and uh, but what is great about it is when you're an in-betweener you, uh, when you start off at that level you get to learn from the masters you get to pick up their uh, 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 their ways of doing things and um, and there, you pick up on their styles. And um, I've worked with the best in the business at Disney. And so I was very grateful for that opportunity. Uh, and and when, I when I was at Disney, I, I wanted to be an animator, a traditional animator. And I finally got it on Treasure Planet. So I worked my way from in-betweener to assistant animator, where you're just not quite your Padawan level of, of, of uh, animator, and then you get to official animator. And uh, I made official animator on uh, Treasure Planet. And then, um, unfortunately, uh, traditional animation went away at Disney, and I had to make a decision to uh, do, I wanted to try to CGI, become a CGI animator. Um, and I tried, I just wasn't good at it, and I, and I wanted to draw some more. So the other option was a storyboard artist. And so, because storyboards is very much like 
uh, comic books. You're drawing uh, a series of images that tell a story. And um, uh, it, I fit like a glove. It was easy to become a storyboard artist. Uh, and I started as a storyboard artist at Disney. Uh, and I transitioned over to Nickelodeon on Avatar The Last Airbender uh, as a story artist. I was also an assistant director on there, it, 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 on Avatar The Last Airbender. And as assistant director, you're um, assisting the director. <laughs> um, so you're helping out with the layouts. You're helping out with the uh, timing of the show. Um, I'm not necessarily doing it, but I'm helping them give it a, a suggestion uh, for it. And then um, now currently I'm a storyboard artist at Pixar. And as we've talked about, I was the director of uh, the Pixar Spark Short Float. And, and so director uh, means that you are in charge of foreseeing this story and you overlook the animation pipeline which has uh, story artists, animators, uh, layout artists. And, uh, and it, it, once you make director, you totally uh, understand the process and how everyone is important to the making of the, the, the movie that you're making. And I am um, so humble and grateful for the, the, the talent that I had that worked on Float. And so, Cameron, I know you had one. Yeah, so, um, you know, you kind of spoke about it, but it seems more recently you've been focusing on more of the writing and directing. Mm -hmm. um, was it a challenge to take on that role within the uh, creative process? And how do you develop confidence taking on those roles? Um, I feel like to me, I try not to freak out about it. I try to think about it more of what does the story need? And I, I, I've been a storyteller most of my life. I think most kids are. We tell stories all the time. Um, and it's, it, the difference is I, I actually draw it. And, and you know what? Most people could do that too. <laughs> they, could, they really applied themselves to just, just focus on the story and draw it. It could be even crudely. Like even, I mean, you can make an argument for Beavis and Butthead. If you look at the... <laughs> designs it's still it's amazing right like they're still telling a story um but yeah to answer your question um yeah i i've been drawing comic books since i was a little kid and it's basically telling a story and i see that the same here in animation as a story artist i'm telling a story and but once you hit the director's position you are now in charge of making sure your story gets told the way you want it to be. And so um, if you have the vision in your head, then you know how to direct somebody. Um, you know, because if it doesn't look right, it doesn't look right. If that action doesn't uh, tell the story that you're trying to convey, then you'll have to tell that animator, uh, yeah, can you make them even emote even more? So I was thinking more that he was, more upset rather than angry at this moment. So I try to keep the story as my North Star. And as long as I'm like serving that, then I'm good. 
that makes a lot of sense. That actually segues really well because let's talk about float. And when I first saw this, I thought the dad character looked Filipino because I didn't know the background for it. I, just, I was watching them just say, oh, I want to watch all these spark shorts because it's really cool to see what they're doing there. Yeah. And in seeing an interview that you had with Variety that the character was originally written as, as white and yes. float is your story. So what was the ins your inspiration in writing this story? I know some people know, but it's just great to continue to, to rehash that, to tell that it's your story. And what was your inspiration right. behind it and making sure that it was representative of your story? Right. Um, okay, to, the story is based off of my relationship with my son, Alex, who's on the autism spectrum. And when I originally wrote it, it was gonna be a comic book. Um, and I did a cover for it 10 years ago. And on the cover was a father and a son in a field of dandelions. The father's standing on the field of dandelions and the son is floating. And the comic was gonna be called Alex. And the, the tagline for the comic was a special child and a father's journey. And yes, on the cover, the characters were white. And I think at the time, because I was like, well, I got to sell this comic and I don't know if anybody wants to see a Filipino American uh, characters. I mean, I don't know how uh, viable uh, that would be. Um, and you know what, I give it to Pixar. I give Pixar credit because when I had storyboarded the short, the characters were still white. And they were like, hey, um, why are they white? I, this it should be this is your story you should tell it from your perspective and you should make the characters Filipino and uh, I mean I was given the green light and uh, I mean when and when you get that opportunity you run with it I again I thank Pixar for for having the insight to do so and um, um, and I'm happy that since it's been out that Filipinos all across the world who have seen it have can see themselves up there but also not only just Filipinos I, uh, I've gotten uh, emails from uh, parents of children who are on the autism spectrum who saw themselves in that short um, I've also gotten the, the beauty about the float metaphor is that the metaphor is about difference and that's what I said in the short, uh, it, when I did my dedication, I said this is dedicated to all the families with children deemed different. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten lots of emails and notes about just parents going like, yeah, my son is different. And whether that is, or our child is different, whether that's a gender difference, whether that's a sexual preference difference, whether that's a difference in, I don't know, um, religion, any outsider, any outsider that felt out of place, they have contacted me and said that they responded to the character. And uh, it's about acceptance and love and inclusion. So um, I am grateful that it's resonated with people around the world. And it's, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal to me what a, a short can do and how so many of these Pixar shorts and these Spark shorts can inspire entertain make make you feel and it may only be a few minutes long and obviously so much work goes into them but it makes you feel i mean another one that hit me was bow yeah yeah i mean i have a bow pop behind it was like on my my thing i had to have a bow pop but it hit me and i called my mom instantly right after i got out of the movies it was like mom i miss you i love you 
<laughs> one of those things that made it makes you feel emotion. It's so amazing to me how, especially nowadays, that animation is so highly regarded too, and that it wasn't as much in the past it seems. But now, with what we see and how it makes you feel so emotional and feel, and you see representation in an animated piece that you didn't get before, and so it's just it's amazing to see that. And that the Spark Shorts program, it's allowed so many creatives from so many different backgrounds to have their books published. So to you, just why is representation important? And what does it mean to you just to know that you, that there's more outlets for inclusion and they're, they're becoming more available in the industry and that, like you said before, you got that push from Pixar. They, they said, no, you need to make this about you. So how does that feel to you to have this outlet now? I absolutely love it. <laughs> and I think it's great uh, that we are in this time now where you can see a person of color as a lead character in a short. And um, I am grateful for it because now I'm talking to people like you, if I'm, I, you and Cameron, because like, um, like I have this platform now because uh, I did this short. And the same will happen to the directors that who follow. They, they will tell their stories and they will have this platform to tell people what what is important to them, and um, and so I, I mean, when do I get to talk to Nashville? <laughs> you know, <laughs> I do it now because of short of float, and how, how do I, and 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 if I could spread a message of love and inclusion, and um, then you know, I feel grateful for that. I saw. Did you guys see when when um, Chadwick Boseman talked about purpose. Yes. And that hit hard to me. I was like, wow, okay. Well, I feel like with this platform, I have purpose and I can like spread the word of love and acceptance, so. Man, yeah, <laughs> that, it, it means a lot. And I know the, the loss of Chadwick Boseman, you could tell, you, you just looking back at his career too, that he purposely he purposefully chose his roles right as well right. and utilized each one of those roles to spread a message yes no what he did and so the message of purpose is so huge and and we see it, obviously we we focus a lot on sports or mm -hmm. see that in sports now too where athletes are realizing they have a purpose and they can do more uh with it yes. i know we have people that listen that don't agree with us necessarily but it's still mm -hmm. um it's the respect factor uh of it as well that th everyone deserves respect and has a mm -hmm. purpose and be able to utilize that purpose. So I appreciate you saying that very, very much. It means a lot. It, it's one of those things that hits the heart um, yes. big time, which it should. If, if you don't feel, then are you human? Are you <laughs> <laughs> um, and I don't know, before we have to let you go too, it was a big for Cameron because one of, what's your favorite, one of your favorite movies, Cameron? Oh man, uh, one of the things on your, um, your IMDb was uh, Atlantis, The Lost Empire. And I loved that movie. Wow. There's like very few of you guys. Yeah, which is funny though, because it's it's a little bit of a cult classic. But there were a few movies in that era, like that, and like you mentioned, um, Treasure Planet. That you know, while you know, if you're just looking at dollars and cents, maybe not the biggest successes ever. But those things mean a lot to a lot of people. So, um, right. you know, it's it's good that, like you were saying, it's good to just have that kind of impact on people. Yeah, and there's a the great thing about what I loved about those movies is it added variety to Disney movies. It wasn't the princess movie again. Right. You're like, oh, okay, 
Atlantis, okay. <laughs> like what? Mike Mignola comic book characters, okay. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, when we were on there, we were thrilled. Um, and um, I, 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 I wish it made like it was as I wish it was as successful as the princess movies. But you know, I'm glad that there's a variety of of Disney movies out there. And yeah, people enjoy. Yeah. If anything, those might have been ahead of their time. Like, if there was a way to kind of like you know re-showcase those, I feel like those movies would have a really positive impact right now because very diverse cast within those characters, mm-hmm. um, a lot similar to the a group trying to accomplish uh, something big, just like a lot of the popular movies out today. Right. Um, you know, it's definitely interesting um, how how they were trying to get creative and tell new stories. And while it didn't, you know, necessarily pay off as far as their, as like I said, dollars and cents mm-hmm. um, still meant a lot to people and, you know, right. just a little bit ahead of its time. So. Right. Um, and I'm thinking too, like with anime, the way it is now and people can accept stories, not about just princesses, like they, that they, that you can have an action adventure movies, uh, stories out there that, yeah, I agree with you. I, I believe it. I believe Treasure Planet and Atlantis were ahead of its time. Yeah, and people love that retro futurism now where it's like, you know, here's how we viewed what the future was going to be like in the 30s, 40s, and 50s. Like, love that stuff. The whole steampunk angle, like, you know, that's everything now. So it was really cool to see. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, we're in the minority, but I'm with you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, Bobby, uh, I can't thank you enough again for taking the time to talk with us and to cover so many variety of topics. Just really appreciate it. It's been great getting to know you even more. Um, Huge fan and just can't wait to see what's next for you and your career. And just I'll be following every every step of the way. So thank you so much for taking the time with us. Well, thank you, um, Justin and Cameron. It was my pleasure. And anytime I could talk like uh, comics and and, and animation, I mean, invite me back. I, I, I love it. So thank you so much. Absolutely. We will definitely have you back in the near future. (laughs) Thank you. All right. Take care. Take care, guys. Bye.